1: You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash
0: students. That's lls.org slash students. It's actually surprisingly fun, like looking over this pitch again.
1: I know, but I had completely forgotten that we called it before I die.
0: Oh, same. In my head, it's Miami Murder Mystery.
1: Yes, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> uh, but then once you read the pitch, Before I Die it does seem like a pretty good title. Yes,
0: yes. But I, I still like Miami Murder of <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Ojai right outside of LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk
1: about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles.
0: Okay, Liz, this is a very special episode today. We are going to share a pitch that we wrote several years ago that sold to CBS. And after we do the pitch, we're going to talk about what changed over the course of the notes process from giving the pitch to actually turning in the script? Yes, and we
1: should say this did not get made... Although, hey, it's never too late. You'd never know. Yes. <laughs> and it's based on a short article, less than a one-page article, Sarah, which goes to everybody wants IP. Even if it's not big famous IP, they just want to know that it's based on something. Right or wrong. Although in this case, we did really love the what we could make of it. All right, Sarah, when we come back, the pitch for the show before I die. But first,
0: this break. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move.
1: By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood, netsuite.com slash hollywood,
0: netsuite.com slash hollywood. Head to factormeals.com slash H-I-H
1: 50 and use code H-I-H 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code H-I-H 50 at factormeals.com slash H-I-H 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
0: Okay, you ready? Ready. Okay, picture us sitting down in a room with a bunch of executives, chatty, chat, chat, chat. And then here we go. Yes. Wearing our nice outfits. Oh, I remember those days. Okay. In writers' rooms all over Los Angeles, there are two hotly contested debates. In a fight between a caveman and an astronaut, who would win? An astronaut, clearly. And which superpower would you rather have? Flight or invisibility. Ultimately, after much argument, the majority of us land
1: on invisibility because we can pretty much fly already. We have planes and helicopters and eventually cars will fly, right? But invisibility, the ability to hear what we're not meant to hear, to see what we're not meant to see, there's something forbidden and thrilling about it. But what we often don't realize when we're having these arguments is that one day we will be invisible. And that's what our show is about, the superpower of invisibility, the superpower we will all have whether we want it or not because all of us will be invisible if we're lucky enough to get old.
0: For women, it will happen sooner than it will for men. And from what we hear, it happens almost overnight, right around the age of 60. In New York and LA, it's probably earlier. Fear of that moment when we become invisible is why we color our hair, it's why we have surgeries to tighten our faces and necks and have fat injected to plump up the backs of our hands. We're desperate not to be invisible. But what if we're thinking about it all wrong? What if we think of our invisibility as a superpower? That is the central question of
1: before I die. On this show, our brilliant, strong, vibrant, hilarious women of a certain age will use their invisibility as their superpower to solve the murders of people who have also become invisible and bring them justice. And as they do, they will bring themselves back into the light, and that light will transform them.
0: Before I Die is an unexpected procedural with a heavy dose of soap. You've heard of a sewing circle? This is a murder circle. So let us tell you a bit about our world that and we'll dive into our three main characters, Rita, Kat, and Felicia, and also Dolores, whose mysterious disappearance is the catalyst that brings them together. The rest of the country may be going to hell, but Miami
1: Shores is a haven, a haven from drug dealers and homelessness and the immigration debate. It's an active adult country club living community where people 55 and over can say goodbye to whatever dreary suburb they raise their families in and say hello to paradise. In other words, it's a retirement community for
0: people who aren't done yet. Sundown mojitos serve sharply at four. Located in gorgeous Miami Beach, Florida, Miami Shores offers everything from salsa dancing and sea kayaking to mindfulness and mahjong. You wanted to be on Broadway but got stuck selling commercial real estate? At Miami Shores, you can star in an almost professional-level production of Hello, Dolly, or you can join the paddleboarding club, or learn to play poker, or, or, or. With an 18-hole golf course, three pools, a salon and spa, gourmet dining, and five different sophisticated housing options to choose from, the two-bedroom modern bungalow is the most popular, Miami Shores isn't a place where old people come to die. They come to finally live their dreams. At least, that's the idea.
1: Our girl squad of seniors, Rita, Kat, and Felicia, will live out some dreams, just not the ones they had set their sights on when they decided to call Miami Shores home. Instead of starring in musicals or taking romantic walks on the beach with their aging soulmates, before they die, they'll solve murders, and they'll do it together.
0: So let's dive into our characters, starting with Rita Malone, the rule follower. Think Jamie Lee Curtis. First, Rita was the tall, capable middle child of Elise and Jack Spiro. Then she was the supportive wife of brilliant homicide detective Richard Malone. Then the doting mother of Maggie and Zach. And now she's an adoring grandma. Are you sensing a trend? For 64 years, Rita has defined herself largely by her relationship to others. Daughter, wife, Mom, grandma, but her parents are long gone. Her kids are grown. Maggie's a lawyer with three kids of her own. Zach does multi-million dollar real estate deals. She suspects he's gay, but he doesn't share. And now her husband is gone too. He died a year ago of a massive heart attack just before he was set to retire. So who is Rita now that the people she's defined
1: herself by aren't there to define her anymore? To be honest, she's not sure. She's gonna find out, of course, but we're not there yet. Here's what she does know. This is not the future she was dreaming of during all those years of taxing the kids around, volunteering for the PTA, and leaving dinners warming in the oven for Richard when he worked overtime investigating murders. When Richard retired, they were going to travel, plant a garden, learn to paddleboard, for fuck's sake. Moving to Miami Shores was the first
0: step into what were supposed to be the best years of their lives. Instead, Rita's a widow, the first and only one in her friend group of law enforcement wives. And over the last year, the sympathy dinner party invites have tapered off to phone calls and girls' lunches once a month. In short, it sucks. When we meet Rita, she's making the best of things on the outside, but on the inside, she's depressed, lost, invisible, and spending way too much time watching HGTV. But Rita is about to
1: find herself, and the Rita she's going to discover is a badass, because when Rita's neighbor mysteriously disappears and the police can't figure out what happened to her, Rita will find that the invisibility she's feeling is, in fact, a superpower and not her only one. She's always been giving and smart and Riley funny, but she's going to find that she's also brave, ballsy even, and kind of brilliant. Rita picked up a lot about detective work from 30 years as a detective's wife, and it's about to come in very handy. Over the course of season one, Rita will transform from someone who defined herself by the people around her to someone who knows her own power, from someone who gives, gives, gives to someone who knows what she needs and demands it, even if it still makes her super uncomfortable. From someone who's faded into invisibility to someone who embraces that invisibility cloak when it suits her and throws it off when she wants to shine.
0: Rita and the friend she makes along the way are ultimately going to find out what happened to their missing neighbor, but that won't be enough for them. Richard left more than memories for Rita. He left an industrial shelf of unsolved case files in their garage, the murders that kept him up at night, the victims who haunted him. He marked every box, B-I-D, before I die. Well, Richard can't solve those cases, but maybe Rita, Kat, and Felicia can. And other cases too, because they won't be satisfied with just finding out what happened to Dolores. She's only the beginning.
1: Before we get to that, let's meet Catalina. Imagine Ava Longoria, the rebel, the rule breaker. At 55, Cat is what's known at Miami Shores as a kitten, a sexy younger wife of a wealthy older man. Outside of Miami Shores, she's what's known as an aging trophy wife. Cat is fearless, funny, and in-your-face. She's also volatile, reckless, and ready to fight anyone at any time. With no kids of her own, the only reason Kat agreed to move to Miami Shores is their policy that bans adult children from spending more than five consecutive nights within its gates. She hasn't exactly taken to being a stepmother to her husband Palmer's three grown kids. And it doesn't hurt that Palmer managed to land the coveted, one-of-a-kind, 8,000-square-foot Ocean Palais where Cat entertains his various business associates and their kittens at the 24-person dining room table.
0: From a brutally poor Cuban immigrant family, Kat grew up ruthlessly determined to advance her station in life. She chose her career as a professional organizer, like Kim Kardashian pre-sex tape, because she knew it would be a way to meet wealthy bachelors. Side note, Kat's ability to assess someone's space, along with her getaway driving skills, will make her a huge asset to the murder circle. Anyway, the plan worked, and Kat retired the day she got engaged to Palmer, 17 years ago. But when you marry for money, you earn every dime. Kat may not have to worry about where her next meal is coming from, but she's bored and desperately lonely. Thanks to an ironclad prenup, she can't even cheat for excitement.
1: You know those women who don't have girlfriends? That's Kat. At least it always has been. With Rita and Felicia, we'll get to her in a second, Kat finally has a squad. Turns out 55 isn't too old for your first slumber party. Although in Kat's case, the slumber party will
0: be a stakeout in Rita's Cadillac. When we meet Kat, she's locked in a speed bump battle with the overzealous Type A head of the housing association. That would be Felicia, we picture Angela Bassett. The rule enforcer, the contrarian, the fearsome president of the Homeowners Association, Felicia knows the Declaration of Covenants, Conditions, and Restrictions by heart, and she expects the residents to follow it, down to the height of the grass on their lawns, which should be no more than three and a quarter inches high. She doesn't care if they like it, and she definitely doesn't care if they like her. Their community has standards to maintain, and those standards benefit Everyone. Before she moved to Miami Shores six years ago, Felicia was the first African American head librarian of the New York City public school system. Now, many people think of librarians primarily as professional shushers, but in fact, librarians are their own special brand of badass. Yes, she can find pretty much any piece of information in the stacks or online. She even knows how to navigate the dark web. But she's also got a freakish amount of knowledge stored in her head. Felicia is basically a human version of the internet. When
1: Felicia and her wife, Stella, retired from their jobs, Stella was a hard-edged litigator and left behind the cold winters of New York for Miami shores. They were supposed to be the snowbirds who flew back north As soon as the snow melted, but soon after they arrived, Stella's forgetfulness became dementia, became Alzheimer's. So they stayed. Stella is the love of Felicia's life, and watching her disappear daily, word by word, memory by memory, is devastating. So Felicia channels that pain into something she can control, keeping her community safe and
0: beautiful. The uniform lawns and the three approved paint colors give Felicia comfort. When a neighbor mysteriously vanishes from her community, it's like an earthquake for Felicia. The very ground beneath her shifts and makes her feel unsteady. But as she gets drawn into the case by Rita and Kat, she will be shocked to find that she actually enjoys the ride, that disruption can be thrilling and that breaking the rules is, well, it's fun, not that she'll admit it. And then we have Dolores, our mystery woman our catalyst. We talked about women of a certain age being invisible. Well, Dolores is so invisible that nobody notices she's gone missing. Nobody, that is, except Rita. Dolores' disappearance is the catalyst for our show, and in season one, she's the unseen fourth member of our seniors squad.
1: We won't know a lot about Dolores at first, just that she moved to Miami shores a few years ago. Nobody's sure from where. After her disappearance, acquaintances observed that although she always seemed busy, Dolores kept to herself. She didn't make enemies, but she didn't make friends either. The only person at Miami Shore she ever really talked to, as far as we know, was Rita. And that's just because Rita was her closest neighbor. Unwrapping the mystery that is Dolores, what happened to her and why, will propel us through season one.
0: So before we dive into the pilot, let's talk a little bit about the tone of the show. Imagine going to brunch with the smartest, funniest women you know. You may have to age them up a little or not. But that's what the tone of this show is. Only in addition to supporting each other and challenging each other, these women are solving murders. Are their lives perfect? No. Have they been kicked around a little? Yes. Are their jawlines a little looser than they were 15 years ago? Absolutely, but they're overflowing with wit, intelligence, and wisdom, and they're too old for bullshit. They're part Nancy Myers, part big little lies. The stakes are high, the peril real, but they have each other, and not much phases them. So let's talk about the pilot.
1: We meet Rita in her new widow's routine, making her side of the bed, drinking from the hers mug in the his and hers set, not throwing away Richard's toothbrush for the 319th day in a row. As she finishes her single egg through the front window, she sees Felicia pull up in her golf cart, clipboard in hand. Shit, Rita's about to get a noncompliance slip. But for what? Rita's eyes land on her slightly overgrown lawn. And we cut to Felicia, who's actually measuring the grass, until Rita emerges from the garage, pushing the lawnmower. She was just about to get to it. Thanks so much for the reminder. It's a lie, but Felicia gives her a pass. As Felicia starts to go, Rita takes a deep breath, pushing a lawnmower. Just one more shitty thing about being a widow.
0: But when Rita pulls the starter cord, nothing. She smiles at Felicia. She'll just borrow the neighbors. But as she starts across the street toward her neighbor Dolores' house, an orange Mercedes convertible almost flattens her as it zips around the corner. This is Cat, who shouts an apology and toots the horn. Felicia hops in her golf cart and gives chase as Rita walks up Dolores' front steps. There's a pile of mail. Is Dolores out of town? Rita looks through the window. Dolores' purse and phone are on the dining room table. Huh, that's odd. And then Dolores' cat leaps at the window, and its paw leaves a smeared, bloody print. Holy fuck. Heart racing, Rita takes out her phone. At the other end, Detective Dante Ortiz picks up. We'll find out that Detective Ortiz was Richard's partner when he died. At the other end, Detective Dante Ortiz picks up. We'll find out that Detective Ortiz was Richard's partner when he died. 35, smart and handsome, Detective Ortiz will end up being an unofficial and reluctant extension of our murder circle. The women will either work with him or run up against him in every episode, but that's all down the road. Right now, Rita's on a mission. She tells Ortiz she's about to break and enter. Something happened to her neighbor. Ortiz says wait, he'll send help, but Rita's not waiting. What if Dolores is dying in there? She breaks a pane of glass on the door, reaches in, unlocks it, and enters. Now that she's in, she sees bloody paw prints all over the floor, the counters, the furniture. Ortiz begs Rita to get out and wait for the police. There could be someone in there. But Rita keeps going until she turns a corner and finds herself about to step into a huge puddle of blood. But Dolores is nowhere to be found. And as the pool of blood morphs into the beautiful sunrise of our title card, Before I Die begins.
1: So here's what happens in the rest of the pilot. And we'll stay general from here on out. When we come back after the teaser, Dolores' home is a crime scene and many Miami Shores residents, including Felicia and Kat, are lining the sidewalks. Ortiz mentions to Rita that his first case as Richard's partner was another missing older woman in Miami Shores, Winnie Wilson. They never solved that one, but he's gonna find out what happened to Dolores. The conversation sends Rita to her garage where we reveal Richard's Before I Die files. Rita pulls one out, Winnie Wilson. Winnie's unsolved disappearance was one of the cases that haunted her late husband. Later, Rita has the files spread across the dining room table when Kat knocks at her door in search of a partner for alligator patrol. A resident heard a cop float the theory that Dolores was dragged off by an alligator, and now Miami Shore security wants all residents to participate in an alligator night watch. So far, no one wants to be Kat's partner, and her shift was supposed to start half an hour ago. Rita's too nice to say no. I'll drive, Kat says, pointing to her souped-up Bentley Luxe customized electric golf cart.
0: Which, by the way, is a real thing. As Kat drives a harrowing experience in and of itself, Rita shares details from the Winnie Wilson file— Missing older woman, Miami shores, no family nearby, that's pretty damn similar to Dolores. She thinks this alligator theory is nonsense. What if the cases are connected? What if someone is preying on old women? As they finish patrolling and head back to Rita's, Kat spots a flashlight beam moving inside Dolores's dark house. Someone's inside. Kat immediately turns off the headlights and coasts to a silent stop. They've got to investigate. Rita says it's too dangerous, but Cat grabs a 9-iron from her bag in the back. Rita says, fine, but give her 30 seconds. She runs into her house, gets Richard's service pistol from the safe. She follows Cat across the street and into Dolores' house. A shadow rounds the corner. Cat wields the golf club as Dolores raises the gun and yells, freeze! Cat flips on the light, revealing Felicia. At first, Felicia
1: claims she was there to put the front porch light on a timer, but then she admits she was snooping because this alligator theory seems ridiculous to her too. And little do Rita, Felicia, and Kat know it, but this is the birth of the murder circle. Together, they will discover a third missing woman from a neighboring community and become convinced that an angel of death is targeting single older women in Miami. They'll talk to Winnie Wilson's son, Peter, who now lives in the house Winnie disappeared from and believes his mom was killed by a home health nurse, Armin Walensky. Richard had questioned Armin in the original investigation, but couldn't prove his guilt. What if all these years later, they can At least they're going to try. Armin no longer works in home health, but Felicia recognizes his name. He was removed by Miami Shore security after he scaled a gate six months ago. What if he was looking for his next victim? What if that victim ended up being Dolores? The murder circle embarks on a road trip to the Everglades, but when they track down Armin in a dilapidated shack deep in swampland, he's dead. Like dead dead, mostly bones. Rita, Cat, and Felicia won't stop there. In their quest to find a killer, they'll use their collective superpower—it's a lot easier to steal a coroner's report when nobody notices you—as well as their individual superpowers. Kat will assess Armin shack and determine from the way his space is organized that he was pulling his life together, not drowning in alcoholism, which contradicts what they've been led to believe about him. Felicia will use her skills as a human computer and her actual computer skills to find a crucial piece of evidence that leads to the real killer. And Rita will remember that the most important thing she learned in 30 years as a detective's wife is that the story of a crime is built from the evidence, not the other way around.
0: Because after an investigation that includes a couple of red herrings, our favorite is a colorful manicurist who mysteriously came up with the money to buy her own salon just weeks after Winnie disappeared, they'll find that there is no Miami Angel of Death. Dolores' disappearance is not, in fact, tied to Winnie's. Winnie was killed by her son, Peter, who paid Armand to abduct her from her home, so Peter would have an alibi. If he was in Tampa all weekend, how could he have killed his mom? What Richard never figured out is that Armand took Winnie to Tampa, where Peter killed her and disposed of her body. The motive? Money. Peter didn't want Winnie to outlive her money, so he killed her. But Dolores' disappearance will remain a mystery that our murder circle is determined to solve.
1: As the pilot mystery unfolds, each of our women will also have a personal thread that's impacted by the case and the bonds they're forging with each other. Kat will struggle with her aging beauty and what crossing that line of invisibility means for her marriage. Felicia will realize that the love of her life, Stella, is gone, even if she's still technically there. And Rita will come to understand that Richard's Before I Die files are both a way to keep him alive and a way to start letting him go.
0: In season one, our gang of three goes from being hapless amateurs to a skilled unit. Every week they'll solve a different murder, and they won't just solve the cases Richard left behind. Our cases can come to us any number of ways. When they do start from the files, there will always be a present-day person with a direct emotional connection to the case. A daughter will find out her father didn't abandon her. He was murdered. A mother will finally be able to bury her long lost son. And people will come to them to solve cases the police can't or won't pursue. In episode two, for example, a woman from a neighboring community has heard about the case they solved in the pilot and seeks them out. Her brother was shot dead a couple weeks ago, and the police have no leads. Can they help? They can, and they will. In another episode, a murder happens live on Facebook, and they use their skills to track the killer down before he kills again. They even get pulled into a case through an Amber Alert when a babysitter is killed and her young charge is missing. As our murder squad continues to have success, even a skeptical Ortiz has to admit their superpowers come in handy, and he'll turn to them on tough cases. And throughout the season, the murder circle continues to put together pieces of the Dolores puzzle, and ultimately, they'll crack the case. In the process, Rita, Kat, and Felicia will change. Because joining AARP doesn't mean you stop evolving. It just means you evolve with a discount.
1: On Before I Die, every beat is a personal beat, even the procedural beats. And Rita will undergo the biggest transformation personally. If she used to be a mouse, now she's a mouse who roars. She'll even open herself up to love again. As much as she loved her husband, his death is allowing her to really live for the first time. Meanwhile, Kat's life falls apart. It turns out Palmer is into some shady shit, and that shit is hitting the fan. By the end of the season, Palmer's in jail, and Kat is left with nothing. She's as poor as the day she was born. But there is light at the end of the tunnel when Palmer's handsome son, a son Kat never knew about, comes into the picture.
0: And then there's Felicia. During season one, Felicia learns to bend the rules. She learns how to have fun again, or more accurately, she learns how to have fun for the first time in her life. She also finally comes to terms with saying goodbye to Stella, and that may mean committing a murder of her own. Before I Die is smart without being cynical, funny
1: without being silly, emotional without being cloying. It reminds us all that we have superpowers, that we can make the world a better place, and that while 60 may never be the new 30, growing old is definitely better
0: than the alternative. Okay, that is our pitch for Before I Die. When we come back, we will share a little bit about the notes process, <laughs> but first this break.
2: For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
1: Okay, Sarah, we are back talking about our Before I Die pitch, which we wrote for CBS several years
0: ago. Still love that show. I know, it's so fun. I mean, that's the main thing that I feel when reading over and looking over the pitch again. It was just fun. Yeah. It was a fun yeah. show with great emotional stakes. Now, so we did the
1: pitch, they liked it, and then we sort of left to see, okay, what's going to happen? Are they going to buy it? Or are they not going to buy it? And we got a call saying, well, they love the pitch and they love this notion of invisibility, but they would like you to make some changes or agree to make some changes before they actually buy it. And
0: the main change was that they didn't want all of the main characters to be old ladies. Of course, this is why we had signed on to the project, because we were like, that's so cool. It's Golden Girls as a drama, but with murder. So it was one of those things where I think... You go through a process of, like, your enthusiasm then takes a big hit, and then you have to find it again. You have to go, okay, yes. this isn't what we thought it was going to be, but but we're going to just embrace it and move forward with this new thing.
1: Yes, and their point was that people can be invisible in different ways, so, which is true, which is true. Cap, for instance, who's a trophy wife, was sort of, can we make her even younger and embrace the idea that sometimes women with powerful husbands really aren't seen? And I do think a lot of women could resonate with that. And then we made another character, again, much, much younger. I think she was in her 20s or early 30s, a character who is a custodian at Miami Shores and an immigrant, and the idea that Sometimes immigrants and people in the labor force are not seen. Yeah. So
0: ultimately, our women went from being all 55 and older to being 20 to 70, probably, which is also interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, the pilot story changed quite a bit. It ended up—we did use the Everglades part because that was really fun. Yes, But then somehow we ended up at a (laughs) church— I don't remember yes.
1: how did that happen. <laughs> yes, we ended up with a a, a
0: a pastor who was doing misdeeds. Oh yes, I don't remember if that was connected to Dolores or to the, the <laughs> to the other
1: murder. We also added something I loved into the pilot, where at the end of the pilot, the women go into Dolores's house and find a secret room with all of this stuff in it. And you realize, oh my gosh, Dolores wasn't just some old woman minding her own business. She was involved in something. And we get the idea that, oh, maybe she's out there and she's alive. Because we love the idea of Dolores showing up at some point as an actual character.
0: Yes, and perhaps having staged her own murder. Yes. Yeah, it's just a fun show. I have to say, I'm bummed that it didn't move forward in its original form. It would have been fun to do. Yeah, I'm bummed
1: it didn't move forward in either its original or its (laughs) revamped form. I think that, you know, it's funny because there's a huge hit on CBS now, which someone we know created a great show— Called So Help Me Todd, which tonally reminds me of this show.
0: Well, Liz, as you know, we always do things more than once. So (laughs) maybe this will come around again. It could happen, Sarah. It could happen. If any executives are out there listening, this one's up for grabs. (laughs) And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And please follow us if you haven't already. Thanks to
1: our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on
0: Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, side hustle school and everything happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fane and Liz is at Liz Kraft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fane. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it.
1: Now, Sarah, was that the last pitch that we did in person? Has every pitch since then been on Zoom?
0: Wow.
1: I think
0: so. Yeah.
1: That was the That's last wild. time I had an opportunity to wear one of my blazers. And your nice shoes. <laughs> yes, my nice shoes.
0: Oh, well. And of course, now that we're like going over it again, I have notes. <laughs>